This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 6. We uh, continue our study here on Sunday, evening, Sunday evenings uh, of this epistle. We come to chapter 6 and verse number 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another Go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Let's pray together here this evening. Uh, fathers, we look into this portion of Scripture tonight. We pray that the Holy Spirit would enable us to receive this truth. I pray that you would enable me and empower me to proclaim it. And I pray that we would learn the truth of it and that we would do the work that we need to do to apply it to our lives. I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds to conform us Lord Jesus, to your image, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we live in this world, as we live with a particular mindset concerning our rights and what we deserve. I pray that you would help us to learn how to love and to forgive and extend grace and receive by faith what you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We notice in verse number one, the Bible said, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. I want to speak to you on the subject this evening of settling disputes within the church. Settling disputes within the church. And we know that the Apostle Paul has... 
I've been writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Corinthian church concerning the, the carnal nature of their thinking and of their actions. The division that has been so prevalent among them, of course, has been addressed. And he has begun, beginning in chapter 5, to deal with the open sins of the people. Uh, we looked last time at the, the sin of fornication, this incestual relationship that took place between uh, one of the men in the church and his father's wife that was not his mother, it was his father's wife. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a relationship that is a sin and an offense against God and how that was to be dealt with in the church. As we come to chapter number 6, we find that there are more open sins or known public sins taking place. In fact, they're being dealt with uh, in the public arena, and that is the sin of uh, settling these disputes with brothers and sisters in Christ in uh, a setting such as a courtroom. And so the Apostle Paul is speaking to them concerning these disputes. Now we understand that uh, we are sinful people. Though redeemed, we still deal with the sin nature and we still have uh, a number of problems that can cause us to have disagreements and even disputes. And we understand that in the context of any church, there will, t there will be times of uh, division and disputes. Uh, we, we see the results or the, the causes of those disputes oftentimes, of course, are uh, because of our sinfulness and the sinful tendencies of our flesh, because of our selfishness. Uh, sometimes disputes arise because of a lack of understanding or a lack of communication. And sometimes things just happen circumstantially that are, are really difficult to discern and, and, and really hard to understand. They are the things that result in life that can cause divisions and, and disputes and hard feelings and if not dealt with properly, can cause unforgiveness. This is happening in this church, this Corinthian church. There are disputes. Now, it would appear that uh, there were people in the church who in their business dealings and in their interactions one with another uh, could not come to some settlement or would not come to some settlement, and so they went to the court in Corinth. And here, appearing before a Corinthian judge, are two members of the Corinthian church who, say, uh, who serve the same Lord, who have living in them the same Holy Spirit. But yet there is a dispute that they have not settled and are unwilling to settle in a private fashion or within the framework of the church, and so they have taken that uh, dispute out into the world into the system of the court. Paul, of course, hears of it and uh, begins to address it. Uh, the, the term, uh, verse number one, dare any of you, the word dare uh, is written in language that uh, would, would lead us to believe that this was a, uh, a common happening and a current happening as Paul was writing to the Corinthians. That, that this seemed to be going on quite a bit. 
And so he is addressing it here, settling disputes within the church. Now, I'll just give you a simple outline of, of this text and uh, give you three thoughts here, and then we'll look at each one. Uh, when disputes arise, that's the first heading, when disputes arise. Then secondly, when decisions should be made, when decisions should be made, and then finally, when believers are defrauded. When believers are defrauded. Well, let's look first of all at when disputes arise. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So what is Paul saying to them? He's saying to them basically when disputes arise, and they do arise as we've already addressed that from time to time, then the way we respond to them is extremely important. The way we respond to these disputes, these disagreements, is extremely important. So he says, do not take matters from within the church to the courts of this world. Now, to be clear, he's not referring to a criminal behavior necessarily. So if a crime is perpetrated, if uh, someone, to, someone were to harm, let's say, for example, uh, a child or a young person, he's not saying that you don't address that with the authorities. That's a criminal offense, and it must be dealt with. He's speaking here more in the case of uh, the term he uses in, in the closing part of this text is defrauded. The word defrauded means to deprive, to wrong, to defraud another of what belongs to him. So it would seem to indicate some type of a business dealing or some dispute over a possession. This is not then speaking of a criminal behavior. Criminal behavior within the church uh, must be reported uh, to the proper authorities, especially when it comes to protecting our children and our young people, and those who are vulnerable. But this is referring to wrong that had been carried out, some offense that was taken, some loss that was suffered. And the Lord has a prescribed way for his church to deal with these offenses. And it begins within the framework of the local church. Now, this was a common practice of the Jews of that day. Uh, when there were disputes... Among the Jews, they would not take their disputes to a Roman judge, but they would meet before uh, a body of Jewish leaders, and those disputes would be uh, worked out and settled with that body. In the same school of thought, in the same uh, line of thinking, the church is to understand that we uh, are not to take our problems to the world our disagreements, and put them on display for the world to see. No, we are to handle them within the framework of the local New Testament church. And the Corinthian church is not following here uh, this prescription that God has given them in taking one another to court. Now, Paul gives some reasons why you should not take these disputes to the world, to this court system of the world. Notice what he says, dare any of you having a matter against another 
go to law before the unjust. And so his first reason is to say that when you take these disputes into the public system, into a worldly system, uh, you are going before the unjust. Now, this refers to their spiritual standing, not exactly or specifically to their moral character. So uh, we're not saying here, the Word of God does not say that any judge in the court system uh, of our county or our state is an unjust or immoral in his actions type of judge. He just simply says, you are taking matters as believers before unsaved people. They are not just in their standing. Then he goes on to point out that though the world is unjust, those within the church are referred to as saints. And notice again the close of verse number one, and not before the saints. Then verse two, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? Uh, the word saints, of course, refers to the fact that these are the sanctified. They are those who have been made just. So in contrast to the world's court system, the, the members of the church, the people who make up the church, have been sanctified. They have been justified. So in their position, they are just people. Now, Paul speaks of them, and I want you to go back with me, if you would, into 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And Paul describes this standing as he opens his epistle to the Corinthians. He begins in verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, we know they're not sinless and perfect in every way because he's going to address all of the uh, difficulties within the church, and we've been looking at many of them. But positionally, they have been justified through the blood of Christ. They have the Holy Spirit living in them. So he says, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, or Jesus Christ our Lord, rather, both theirs and ours. Verse 3, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him. Because of your relationship with him, because the Holy Spirit of God abides in you, you have been enriched by him. In all utterance, that is in what you say, and in all knowledge, the Spirit of God, the quickening work of the Holy Spirit, has brought you to an awareness of who God is. It has caused you to see the world through a different lens. You now have a judgment and a knowledge and a wisdom that you formerly did not possess because of the work of Christ in your life. Ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, 
so that ye come behind in no gift. This was a church that was a gifted church. They were equipped. There were people in the church that had been gifted by the Holy Spirit of God, and they were not in any way behind any church. And so Paul here is trying to correct their thinking concerning who they are. He wants them to understand that they are the saints of God. They are the just ones. They are those who've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he says to them, do not take your disputes before unjust judges and unjust court systems. Do you not understand that you have within the church those who can make these decisions on your behalf. He asked in verse 2, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? You see, as we live in this life during these days, God is preparing us for his service. You see, service is not over for us when this world comes to an end. Service is just beginning. We are going to serve our Lord in the millennial kingdom. We're going to serve our Lord. We're going to be judges. We're going to be governors and rulers upon this earth with him. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ will establish his rule and reign upon this earth for a thousand years. And his saints, those who are in the heavens, will come with him uh, as he comes. And he will establish his government and he will uh, employ us and use us as his representatives, as his judges. The Bible tells us not only that we would judge the world, but that we shall judge angels. Think of that. These beings that God created, these angelic beings with this power that God has given to them, we shall judge them, we shall govern them, we shall be appointed to direct them. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? You see, again, we have to think about the way we view our lives and the way we view eternity. God is preparing us in this life for service in the next. And so you may be going through difficulties and things unexplainable and hard to, to determine, but understand that God is going to use it. He is preparing you for service. Now, Paul is pointing this out because he wants to correct their thinking Concerning the fact of who it is that they look to when a dispute comes. He's saying you do not need to look to the unjust. You need to look within the context of the church. You need to understand that those who are in the church, all of you, will one day judge angels. And so... He is giving us directions when disputes arise. Don't take this thing out into the public arena. Don't go into the court systems. Don't sue your brother in Christ. 
Number two, when decisions should be made. Notice in verse four, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life. In other words, if there's a case, if there's a dispute that needs a ruling, here is what you do when decisions should be made. Set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one, that shall be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. In other words, Paul is saying when, when you have a problem, when you have a dispute, knowing that you are going to judge the world, knowing that you are going to judge angels, that you're going to serve in the administration of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then are you not willing, are you not able to find people in the church who can hear the matter, who have the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, who have the Word of God to guide them, who are wise people and able to make decisions? And the answer to that question is obviously true. Yes, they had those people. And so when matters arise and judgments are needed, he says, choose those who are in the church. Now, to do this, if you and I have a dispute, we have to agree to something. We have to agree that we must submit to the authority of the local church. You see, the local church is, is God's ordained established body, organism, to carry out his work. We are a part of that body. We are members one of another. And there is an accountability that we have to, to one another. Go with me to Matthew chapter 18, and I read this uh, passage a, f a few weeks ago when we studied the judgment uh, that Paul wrote of in 1 Corinthians, uh, I think it was in chapter 3. Chapter, yeah, chapter number three. But Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 20, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So if there's a dispute, if you've been defrauded, if something uh, has been done, an injustice has been carried out against you, then here's the way this thing should be solved. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, meaning if he hears you and if he makes restitution, because if he's not willing to make restitution, then he hasn't heard, because he has not submitted. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. There is restitution, and then there is restoration. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So you've gone to him, and there is no willingness to make restitution or restoration. So now you go with two or three witnesses, and uh, you bring the matter to his attention yet again. You do so so that every word may be established. That way, no one can accuse you of saying something you didn't say because you have witnesses. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect to hear them, 
Then, here's the third step, tell it unto the church corporately. But if he neglect to hear the church, in other words, if he will not submit and humble himself, if he will not submit to the authority of the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. You see, when decisions should be made, we should find those within the church to, to, to help us in coming to a decision and the parties involved must agree to submit to the authority of the church. And Paul says in verse 6, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. And so here he is correcting again their thinking. And our thinking today must not be fashioned according to the thinking of this world, but according to the mind of Christ. And that leads us to a third thought, and that is when believers are defrauded. So number one, when disputes arise, don't go to the court system. Don't air it out in the world's court. Why? Because why should the just take their matters before the unjust? when there are judges among you. When decisions are being made or to be made, when disputes arise, then do it the Bible way. Take it to the church. Find people in the church and allow them to help you come to a decision. But then thirdly, we come to this thought, when believers are defrauded. Look in verse 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. This is really radical, isn't it? You say, well, that guy did me wrong, and he's got to pay. He's got to make amends. Well, the Bible says it would be far better for you to suffer the wrong than to drag the issue into the public arena. Now, this is a powerful principle because we live in a culture where everybody wants to air out their dirty laundry. Everybody likes to talk about their hurts and pains, <laughs> their offenses, how they've, how they've been done wrong. What's that song we used to hear on the Hey, won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? Or That's the top hit of all times, isn't it? I like to sing it all the time. Let me tell you how wrong I've been done. And, and now with the advent of social media, Mm. We really know how to express it, don't we? <laughs> Have you seen? I, I really try to stay off of a lot of it. I really do. <laughs> Sometimes people will put little emojis and they'll say, feeling sad, feeling confused. And then they'll go into this detailed experience that they've had where someone has offended them 
And there's a whole industry, I don't know if you're aware of it, and I wouldn't suggest that you dig into it too deeply, but there's almost a whole industry today of people who want to bring all the offenses that they've suffered in churches out for the world to hear. And they just like to discuss it, and they like to stew over it. It's like recycled garbage. They just continue to recycle it. I've been hurt. I've been offended. Somebody did me wrong. We, we looked this morning into 1 Samuel 24, and, and David had his opportunity, didn't he? Saul was in the cave. The men said, get him. And it's over. We can all go home. We don't have to spend another night in the cave. David said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. He gave it to God. What do we do with our offenses? We need to learn to give them to God, don't we? As I said this morning, the greatest injustice that has ever been perpetrated and ever will be perpetrated in the history of the world was the injustice that Jesus Christ experienced dying on the cross. Condemned by false witnesses, though there, were no, there was no evidence against him, condemned to die because the Roman government wanted to appease the howling mob. And he was carried to the cross, and he died for you and I. The greatest injustice the world has ever seen. But understand what God did through the injustice. He brought our salvation. And what is the Lord doing in your life through the pains and the offenses that you are suffering? He is working his eternal purposes in you. Don't lose sight of that. We are going to suffer in this world. Now, I understand we are uh, 21st century Americans. And we've grown up hearing that we should let no, nobody's going to walk over us. And we're going to have our day in court. And we have our rights. But what we need to understand is that we're no longer our own. We belong to the Lord Jesus. We are his servants. And the chief aim of our life should not be to get justice or what we deserve or to correct all the ills in society or all the ills that have been done to us. What our chief aim should be is to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we should be willing to bear the reproach of Christ and the sufferings of Christ. Paul will write later that he bore in his body the marks of Jesus Christ. And he will detail for us his sufferings. And when you read that list and compare it to any list in this church, I don't think any of us will have anything to complain about. And so he's writing to this immature group of believers, and he's saying, all you're concerned about is a few dollars or making sure that you get your way or making sure that somebody who did you wrong pays. But what you need to understand is that what you should be concerned about is the work of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
So we come back to verse 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. He said earlier in, in, in verse number 5, I speak to your shame. This is something he said that you ought to be ashamed of. This is not something you should be happy about or, or you should parade. This is something that you should be ashamed of. Why do ye not rather take wrong? You know, that's a pointed question, is it not? Have you ever been in trouble? Can you remember some of you remember that far back? Didn't you hate it when your mother caught you doing something you shouldn't have been doing, and then she asked you if you did it? And then she wants to know why you did it? I mean, that's painful, is it not? The Apostle Paul, writing to this church, says to them very pointedly, why do ye not rather take wrong? Why in the world would you go to court with a brother, a fellow Christian, and air out all your dirty laundry in a public arena when here we are in Corinth trying to preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and talk about his grace and mercy. And here you are at each other's throat in a court system. Wouldn't it have been far better if you just kept your mouth closed and suffered the wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Then he says in verse 8, you're worried about who's done you wrong, but here's what you need to understand, verse 8. Nay, ye do wrong. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm not in the wrong in this situation. I am in the right. And I want old so-and-so to admit it, and I want the judge to vindicate me. Well, you might be right, but note that you can be right and wrong at the same time. And he's saying to them, you're wrong because you defraud and that your brethren. You are hurting the testimony of Christ. You are hurting the testimony of the church by airing out your dirty laundry in the setting of a lost and dying world. What do you think the bailiff of the court said? What do you think the court workers said? What do you think the attorneys would think when they go home at night and... and um, uh, Mrs. Uh, lawyer says to uh, Mr. Lawyer, uh, how'd it go today? Well, I represented some of these people who go to that church. And, you know, we've been hearing a lot of good things about them. But you wouldn't believe how they treat each other. You wouldn't believe how they act. And Mrs. Lawyer said, oh, yeah, one of them came to visit and left me a, a gospel track today. I was thinking about going. Oh, well, you can forget that. I don't want to get in the middle of that mess. Now, that story could be repeated hundreds of times in hundreds of cities, could it not? So here's the admonition. Don't go wrong. Don't go wrong. Go to the church. And if things fall out, as sometimes they do, where the other party doesn't make restitution, where somebody doesn't say to you, I'm sorry, I was wrong, where other people don't come around you and say, well, let me tell you, you were done wrong. Then he said, you have to be willing to bear that. 
with a greater cause in mind. That is the testimony of the Lord and the unity of the church. Abraham understood this truth, Genesis chapter number 13. Abram had gone out of Egypt into the land of Canaan. In Genesis 13 and verse 2, Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. In verse 4, he came into the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, Abram had come to the place where he calls upon the name of the Lord. He has come in the midst of these Canaanites, and he's doing something most unusual. He is worshiping the name of the Lord. His nephew Lot is with him. And Lot, as did Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. And the Bible tells us in verse 6, And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife. There it is. There's a matter between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. Notice this in verse 7. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. The heathen were all about them. Now, God had called Abraham to be a blessing. And the way in which Abraham was to be a blessing was to receive the blessings of the Lord and then to live before this heathen world in a manner that glorifies God and points them to the Lord. So Abraham is conscious of this. With this strife going on, he is conscious that people are watching him. And so he does something that you wouldn't expect him to do. Verse number 8, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. That ought to be our motto. Let there be no strife between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for, and here's the key, we be brethren. It's unbecoming of brethren to go to law against each other, to have strife, to have disputes, to have lingering issues of division. Verse 9, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right, then I will go to the left. Abraham says, hey, Lot, this is a pretty easy solution. You pick where you want to go, and wherever you go, I'll go a different place. And that will alleviate the strife. But decorum would have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Abraham should have the choice. He's the one God called. He's the elder. He, he should have first pick. Lot, he shouldn't have his choice, and I'm sure there were people telling Abraham that, but he decided, no, I don't want strife. And even if it costs me in my business of farming, it's okay. I don't want strife. And so Paul says this ought to be our motto. Now, when you are wronged, let me give you two powerful provisions that are available to you that will help you endure it. Two powerful provisions of God's grace. Number one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, it's easy to forgive if you don't have anything to forgive somebody for. Oh, I bumped into you. I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. I forgive you. 
I talked about your kids. Oh, well, well, that's a tougher one. I took something that belonged to you. I, I hurt your business. I hurt your bottom line. Oh, well, now we're really getting serious, right? You see, we can talk about forgiveness, but until we're tested in that area and tried, we haven't really learned how to forgive. Until we've been wronged. In Matthew chapter 18, in that same passage, the Bible said, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times Jesus saith unto, unto him, I say unto thee until seven times but until 70 times seven, or I say not unto thee rather until seven times, but until 70 times seven. In other words, no, Peter, not seven times. Don't keep a list. And so, you know, he's done this seven times. It's, I'm through with him. No, you do it as often as it is needed. That's the bottom line. You extend grace. You extend forgiveness. Then he gives uh, he, he gives us the example of the man who owed his master a great debt, and he went to him and he said, will you forgive me? And uh, he had compassion on him and forgave him a large sum of debt. And then he found someone who owed him, a, in light of what had just been forgiven him, a very small and insignificant amount. And he said, pay up, buddy. And the man said, I can't. And so he had him cast into the debtor's prison. You see, he forgot the magnitude of the forgiveness that God had extended to him. Now, let me say this to you. Our sin against God required the death of his son. And yet he forgave us. Have we forgotten what he's forgiven in our lives? So when somebody defrauds us, we have two powerful resources. Number one, forgiveness. Number two is faith. We can trust God. Now, remember, David had the chance this morning. We were there in the cave with him in 1 Samuel 24. He had, the, he had the opportunity to put his enemy to death, but he refused to do so. He refused to take matters in his own hands. And before Saul left him that day, what did Saul say to him? The kingdom is established in your hand. The thing that right now is beyond your reach that you could have easily grabbed hold of had you killed me. And I deserved it, he would have said. The thing you, you could have had, you, you now have, not because you killed me, but because you didn't kill me, because you demonstrated mercy, because you rewarded me good, whereas I rewarded you evil. You see, God takes care of his children. You say, well, I, I, lost, I lost in this deal. I mean, I, I suffered wrong in this deal. Okay, well, God is teaching you some things, 
and he's testing you and he's trying you. But let me tell you that God is well able to compensate for your losses. Do you trust him to do that? That's the question. Now, again, Lot says, or Abraham says to Lot, you go to the best pasture. It's up to you. It doesn't matter to me. And that's exactly what Lot did. He beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And he says, it's a no-brainer. That's where we're going because, man, the cattle business is great down there. And what did Abraham get? He got the leftovers, right? No, that's not right. Because look with me at what God did for Abraham. Verse 14, Genesis 13 and the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. That's a pretty big deal, is it not? And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Abraham said, Lot, you choose. I'll take the less. Maybe, maybe Sarah said, what are you doing? And then God said, you did well. You were willing to suffer wrong for my name's sake. And because of that, I want you to look with a new perspective at this land. And I want you to know that everything I promised you, you're going to get. I think of that song, Jesus never fails. And I want to tell you, he'll never fail you. So if you've been wronged, don't go to the computer. Don't become an Internet celebrity. Don't go to the members of the church gossiping about it. Deal with it the right way. Don't take it to the world. Learn to extend forgiveness. Learn to live by faith and God will bless you for it, and the church will be unified, and the testimony of Christ will be magnified. And that's what we want, is it not? So may God help us. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.